Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak on a Fan Friday edition of the podcast. We have got roughly an hour of our time that we are devoting fully to questions from you guys, the allies of the podcast. Ben, in one of the Fan Friday questions... Somebody brought up the fact that some category, I don't want to give it away, would be delicious. And that made me think, oh, I haven't heard Ben say that in a while. But that's my own fault because I haven't opened the podcast asking you how you are. So, sir, how are you? Everything's delicious, Trev. There it is, folks. Which which category? I don't even know which one you're referring to. it's It's a secret question. I'm not going to give it away yet. Oh, my goodness. How exciting. Did you buy your Trace McSorley jersey yet? You know I did. You don't have to ask me that. You don't have to make me he say it, on folks. the podcast. He did it. The origin uh, of the Trace McSorley bet happened on a Fan Friday. I was trying to find the the episode. I could not for the life of me remember what month it was in. So I couldn't find it. If you I, didn't put Trace McSorley in the in the description too, then we're officially screwed. I was looking at the description. But if any listeners know which episode it was on Fan Friday in which the whole Trace McSorley thing happened, I would love to listen back. To cringe at myself and my smugness and my arrogance from only a few months prior. But for those who don't know, we had a listener. Lord knows, I don't remember who it was. Uh, hit us up if you if you if you were the one. He if you were the like, one. It was Ethan. E- Ethan is a, a listener of the podcast, and he hit me up on Instagram. So like uh, he he continued to like ask me Trace McSorley questions, and I was like. Why is Ethan asking us so many Trace McSorley questions for Fan Friday? And it has to do with the fact that Trace McSorley is like a TikTok star, I guess, or like he's like an inside TikTok joke. So he was like Even letting more that go off. That so. I now own his jersey if he's a TikTok star. <laughs> anyway, so we just went on. There was this big question about Trace McSorley. We answered it. It was talking about how Trace was actually going to be good and how he's going to play for the Ravens. And <laughs> didn't I don't? Didn't he what tell I really us? Want, to bring up uh, like f- form a reality in which Trace McSorley yes. like starts. Yes, that was what it was. And I don't remember. I want to listen back mostly to see if I was goaded into this or if I just decided to no. do it for myself like an idiot. You did it. You just did it yeah. on your own. That's the best part of this bet. I didn't even bring this up to you. You just went, I'll buy his jersey if he ever scores a touchdown. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I I say things in confidence. That I should not say, especially when it's being broadcast and crystallized in podcast form to immediately when people started messaging me because nobody did throughout the entire week. But once they cut to that, that Trace McShorley's shot after RG3 started to get banged up in the mm-hmm. second quarter. Right. People like, on, on in the premium Slack and on Twitter are like, yo, wait, didn't Ben, didn't Ben say something? Did it, was it, was it Ben? Didn't Ben have a bet about Trace McSorley? <laughs> and I was just like, this is not even funny. Okay, we don't have to make a joke about this. And of course, the moment it finds like national, like like other writers, like not just listeners, like Michael Kiss and Mark Schofield got involved. McSorley goes in, and I was like, it's fine. Like, it's the Steelers' defense. It's fine. Yeah. And then I what got, happened? 
15 notifications the moment that touchdown was scored. Marquise Brown, of all people, of whom I have been quite critical this year. Goodness gracious. Your ability to be a jinx has been unbelievable this year. Like It It truly is. It is a complete talent. Hat is off to you. Incredible worth ethic for you to get to this point. But yeah, um, Ben is now, well, not this exact second, but he is going to soon be the proud owner of a Trace McSorley Ravens jersey. Thanks to a fun little scenario and and bet that we had right here on the Fan Friday episode of the podcast. And so I wanted to make sure that I brought that up at the beginning of the pod. Which color did you choose? Did you go with what what, what jersey? I didn't. Did I, didn't I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a choice. I had to buy a custom name jersey because no NFL shots have. Yes. Because NFL Shop didn't have, I told you this. There's no smalls oh for Trace McSorley. Oh my They started a large. It's because he's so I had to, NFL Shop is trying to tell you to get in the gym, Ben. I had to. I had to get a Youth XL. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that makes uh, it so much better. And usually, I get Youth XL jerseys instead of men's small jerseys because they're cheaper. But because I had to get custom name, it wasn't even cheaper. Oh, so I'm just buying Lord. a Youth XL jersey. So I got purple. We're uh, well. I'm glad you got purple because that was that was that was the right choice there. Um, ben and I are going to try to start doing some like video pods at some point, especially when draft season begins. And so when we do the very first video podcast that we do, I'll I'll just let you guys know Ben's going to be wearing. They uh, in the premium the slack. The next time I do a, a video on Twitter, they want me to wear the Trace McSorley oh, jersey. Oh, like a breakdown, like a little video right Yeah, there. yeah. That'd be perfect. All right, let's get uh, let's get into some of these questions. There are some Trace McSorley jersey questions in here that we're going to get to, so we'll bring this topic up probably throughout the show. But we start with Neil. Neil said last last year we saw Freddie Kitchens run a draw on fourth and eight. Oh, bold. Last week, we saw Anthony Lynn call a goal line QB sneak with the offensive line dropping back in pass protection. We all know um, that the weird that the Colts had that weird fake punt. What is the most absolutely head scratching play that you and Ben have ever seen called? I'm not gonna lie. When Herbert completed that bomb last week, and th- with no timeouts, they ran the football. And then two plays later, after mm-hmm. stopping the clock, simply did a QB sneak with everyone dropping back into pass protection. Like, that might be the worst one-two play calling combo I've ever seen. The it, it, I, I, I don't know what's worse. The run on first and goal to ensure you have no chance of winning the game or the second and goal QB sneak. With pass protection, with pass which I, protection. I I have to assume was a, a a blunder, like it was a mistake. But if he was like, "Yo, we're gonna do this really smart QB sneak thing where we're just gonna drop back and pass protection," but maybe, sneak in, maybe it was no maybe it was just a QB draw. He just like got excited. Yeah, just QB draw just really amped up. <laughs> right. Either way, I don't know which is worse. The QB sneak with pass protection aesthetically is horrible. Uh, I do think the worst. I, I I do think in general the worst thing in the world is fake punt designs that are very clearly dead in the water, such as the Colts one against the Patriot. Mm-hmm. To, to me, like if we're talking about worst play call ever, there needs to be a screenshot associated with that, that I can just look at and be like, yeah, that's really freaking dumb. Uh, and obviously the Colts punter lined up under center with no lineman next to him and two Patriots guys right there is hilarious because of the math. I will say an underrated one, even though it's not like bad 
in that screenshot argument is the Sebastian Janikowski 76 yard field goal oh, with the Raiders. Oh, that is right? very funny. Yes. Where it's like, again, like, it's not even like, it's like Janikowski. It's like, they didn't, it didn't really matter. Like, there wasn't like a very negative consequence the way there was for like the, the sequence for the Chargers and the sequence for the Colts with the fake punt. But just the screenshot of, of you know, the, the wide camera angle and the little CBS drop down, 76-yard field goal attempt. That's the sort of thing that I'm just like, oh, man, NFL coaches sometimes. That was Lane Kiffin. So uh, Lane, Lane, I think, has probably wisened up a little bit since then. But just NFL coaches, wow. man, just sometimes could not tell you what's going through their heads. Uh, I mean, I think the real answer is probably that Colts punt. But you know what? I can't, I can't put it on there because I got I to gotta respect it. I have to respect how outside the box the thinking was here. I'm literally looking at the screenshot right now. And one, this play was absolutely never going to work. But if you get beyond the one second after the snap in which it might not work, you can throw the ball back to what I assume is the punter on the far right side of the field. And then you've got a caravan of offensive linemen in front of you to where then he can throw the ball because it's a backwards pass. You know what? I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It's fantastic. They only had three yards to go. I think that they would have got it. You know if, what? You know, they didn't overlook the fact that they had one offensive lineman snapping the ball. Literally, it literally like arithmetic would have gotten them out of that play call. Right. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> there are three Patriots players standing over the center for when this ball is hiked. Like there would have been, you can't even hike this ball and in one swooping motion, throw the ball back to where the punter is before you get tackled by an NFL defensive player. You know what's, you know, what's underrated here. Uh, it, it was recent and it probably won't like stick in the national memory just because the Cowboys are so bad. But Mike McCarthy on Thanksgiving day, mind you, a time of gratefulness, uh, called a, f- a fourth and 10 fake punt from his own 24 against the Washington football team. And it was a reverse. So the oh, whole yeah. point of a fake punt is like, mm. we want to surprise them. And the whole punt of the reverse is like, all right, they're going to be expecting a run, but then we're going to run it the other way. You're not in a punt. They're not expecting a run. By the time you like do the run action, they you've already informed them. It's a fake. So when you reverse it, those will be like, Oh, Okay, we we call it a reverse. You need to pick up ten yards. It's a fake punt. That was truly a spectacular one. I also want a big shout out any team that decides to run like a like a toss play on fourth and one. You know, oh don't don't. We're like that 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 goes from like oh cute dumb play calls we laugh about to like I want to take somebody by the ears and like scream in their face like think about what you're doing. I can't I can't do it when you have a short yardage situation and your thought is, all right, let's get the ball to the running back as far away from the line of scrimmage as possible. Right. We'll punch you inside the face. Anytime, anytime you can work really hard on the first three downs to get yourself to within one yard, within three feet of converting just to toss it seven yards backwards and sprint to the sideline. You got to do it. I've often said this, you've got to do it. We'll move on to the next one. Nick said, hey, man, got a question for you on the pod. All right, Nick, fire away. Yeah, Nick, that's how this goes, brother. If you are the Bears, do you do whatever it takes to move up to get Zach Wilson or Trey Lance? 
even mm-hmm. though they may have PTSD because moving up for Mitch Trubisky. Thanks, man. Love the podcast. Listen every day at work. Big shout out, Nick. Right. Well, and it's a, it's a good question. Uh, the tricky thing is the cost of doing business is the trade-up. If you want a, a franchise-caliber quarterback, not only do you have to be bad enough to get into striking distance for him, but v- almost invariably, very frequently, you have to trade up to go get him. Now, the, the PTSD with Mitchell Trubisky thing is interesting because, you know— uh, the source of, I, I don't know enough Bears fans, I don't follow the Bears close enough to say, like, this is why Mitchell Trubisky is so frustrating to them. But I would imagine. Probably because he's bad. Right. Of, of the three realities, one, he's bad. Two, the other quarterbacks were really, really good, Mahomes and Watson. And three, and we traded up to get him. I would imagine one and two are worse than three. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as if you took Trubisky at three. He's really bad. Mahomes and Watson are very good. You'd be like, well, at least we didn't trade up for him. It would still really suck, right? And obviously, Ryan Pace has done a lot of spending capital to maximize windows and really attack what he's got, what he had with Trubisky, the Cleo Mack trade. He has not made a ton of early-round draft picks in the last few years. So the Bears fans are sitting there dealing with that reality. They haven't had an exciting first-round pick in quite some time. But like in, in my head, you know, if, if you think a quarterback prospect is good, if you think you are finding a franchise quarterback and you need one, right, then the tra- it's it's not as if when you trade up for him, you'll go, oh, no, but we traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. You know what I mean? Like the issue with Trubisky wasn't the trade up. Right. The issue with Trubisky was that he was bad right. and he was bad in a class in which they if they had taken any other of the potential top quarterbacks, they would have been rewarded with a really good player. So. Yes, if the Bears are within range, they should look at trading up because very simply, if you want to get your franchise quarterback without trading up, you're going to have to wait a very long time and be very, very bad in order to get that high in the draft. So it is to say that if you need that quarterback now, you're not going to be able to compete without him, and you're only in striking distance, you have to make the move, then you have to make the move, and that and that is the cost of doing business right now in the NFL. Uh, let's play a little game. With all that said, because I, I agree with a lot of what you said, you know, having regret on a trade that you made previously which would hold you back from what would be making the right move now doesn't make sense you can't live in that world if you're a gm you know whether you've been burned on it before or not like if you don't have a quarterback and you got to go up and get one you go up and get one you don't let past mistakes really get in the way of doing that especially if you've learned from it and you know value and situation and, and all those kinds of things so let's play a game chicago bears right now are five and six are we playing the game yes Hit me. They are picking 13th overall. Now, there are four teams that are five and six, but the Bears pick in front of all of them because they have the lesser strength of schedule. Currently actually tied with Minnesota right at um, 500, but they have the edge over them right now. So let's go down their schedule, and you tell me win or loss. Versus Detroit. Loss. Okay, five and seven. Versus Houston. Where is it? At home? It's, yeah, they're hosting. Yeah. Loss. Five and eight. At Minnesota. Loss. Five and nine. At Jacksonville. Win. Six and nine. Versus Green Bay. Loss. Now that's week 17. 
Green Bay is going back and forth for the number one overall seed. And say yeah, one seed matters. But I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we might be in years past where it's like, oh, the first two get the bye and, and you could probably rest players. Like, I think that Green Bay is right, still yeah, going to yeah, be gunning yeah. for it. Um, so that would have them at six and ten. On average, that gives you right around like the ninth, tenth overall pick. Yeah, I, I, I would say that that's probably you're looking anywhere from yeah nine to twelve. I would say because of this year, and there's a lot of teams at the top that don't have great records. So that would probably involve you popping up about five spots. You're getting into the top ten, or sorry, you're getting into the top five. You're probably looking at four, maybe five, depending who is at five. Dallas Cowboys could be right there because I think everybody believes that the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Bengals are going to have three of the top five picks in some order. I think the Jets mm-hmm. are going to stay at one. Jacksonville's probably going to stay at two. And Cincinnati, I don't know, might be three or four, something like that. There is a realistic possibility. I, I set all that up to say Chicago doesn't have to jump too far we don't think as long as they're right around the top 10 especially if they're inside like if they're at number nine popping up five six four spots I think is doable for them and I think it's something that they should be able to do right so okay future draft year picks future draft picks for the Bears because future draft year picks is not a sense that makes sense um They've got everything this year, one, two, three. They traded away the fourth round pick to move up last year and get Travis Gibson, who's done nothing for them, which, you know, Ryan Pace. Um, and then after that, they're, you know, they're said they have no major movement. So they've fully, you know, crested the hill of the Khalil Mack trade. So you're, you're at a point where, you know, you just finished mortgaging future years for a talent. And now you're looking at potentially doing it again. Let's say you're moving up from what, ten to five? Yeah, we could we could just say a five pick jump. Okay, so if we're, yeah, one thirty or thirteen hundred to seventeen hundred, according to the draft order charts. You're looking at, yeah, you're gonna have to get, include a future first. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Especially if the quarterback is on the board, right? Because if right. you're if you are on the other side of the phone and the Bears call you and they're like, "Hey, we want to move up," you're gonna be like, ah, "I know who you're moving up for," and your franchise can't go anywhere without this guy. So you I like that. <laughs> you like you better pony up. And like teams aren't dumb; it's supply and demand. And when you, when it's a quarterback that's involved, all of a sudden the price has a premium to it. And so I, without a doubt, think it would take you multiple first round picks to move up. No, no matter what, just because the team on the other side of the line is, is going to demand that from you and you have to take it from them. You, you basically, you know, you don't want to set your franchise back irreparably, even if you go get the guy you want, but you're basically at their mercy. And so also you brought up Ryan Pace though. I mean, Ryan Pace even back as GM, like, is he even there to have the PTSD right. about moving up for Trubisky? Well, yeah, I I think it's it's more so ownership. You know, you don't make a move like that without ownership being involved. And if you are, the you know, if you're the the Hallis family, then you're talking about what like like how limiting that Trubisky trade ended up being and the Cleo Mac trade in terms of future your draft picks. You finally maybe reset from that. You're going to bring in GM candidates, and they're going to tell you we're going to go get a quarterback and we're going to you know tra- exchange these picks. Right. I think that the fear would be that that. Um, the it's not the Halas family anymore. I forget what because it's 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 a uh, uh, the last name has changed. But anyway, the Bears ownership is I think is where the fear is going to be. 
I would agree. All right, next question. We can move on. Enough Bears talk. Uh, Landon asked us to do a top 10 wide receiver ranking. He also wanted us to rank the 32 starting quarterbacks, and then Molly as well gave us a question about ranking the starting quarterbacks in terms of like a redraft. We're not going to do the quarterbacks this time around because Ben is actually about to do a big article about kind of like a redraft and looking at QBs and and those things. So we're not going to steal his thunder on the article, although this is something that we can talk about after he publishes. Are you publishing that? Are you doing that next week or when? Next week. Okay. So Ben's doing that next week. If you really want to have us have a little discord about it and talk about that and maybe like I can re-rank the quarterbacks as well. Ask us again next week, but we're going to let Ben do the article first. However, we will do the wide receiver one. Do you, now, Landon says the top 10 wide receivers based on this season, not all time. And so the way that I looked at this is it's not necessarily just going sorting who has the most yards or catches and just going like, okay, that's the top 10. Like you're still taking talent into it, but it's not like redraft format. Is that how you did it? Right. So it is. Out of everything I've seen to this point, who like, I would draft wide receivers to put on my team moving forward. Y- yes. Yeah. 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 Then I'm all right. Okay. I don't know if I did like the full on moving forward thing, but I did present day wide receiver rankings. Okay. Let's see. Let, let, why don't you go? All right. I will go 10 to 5, and then you go 10 to 5. All right. Oh, wow. Smart. Or 10 to 6, actually. Even smarter. <laughs> I got Terry, Terry McLaurin at 10. I have Tyler Lockett at 9. I have Keenan Allen at 8. I have Stefan Diggs at 7. And I have A.J. Brown at 6. A.J. Brown at 6. That's healthy. I was, I was like, healthy high or what? I mean, like, dude's a stud. A.J. Brown is 10 for me. And I had a, I had a tough... I had a tough time. Uh, I think he's I think he's totally top 10 in either format, like more of a present day thing that I'm doing and even more so like a futures thing like you're doing. All right. So for me, my 10 go or my 10 to six, excuse me, uh, 10. I have AJ Brown. Nine. I have Terry McLaurin. Eight. I have Michael Thomas. Seven. I have. Oh, I actually don't like that. No, I got to do it like that. Right. OK, fine. Seven. I have Keenan Allen. Six, I have Julio Jones. Ooh, okay, I got Julio. I have Julio higher. All right, so my top five then. Um, five is DK Metcalf. Four is Devontae Adams. Three is Julio Jones. Two is DeAndre Hopkins. Number one is Tyreek Hill. All right. Oh, number one is Tyreek Hill. I, he's, look, man, he's the most unguardable player in the NFL. I don't know what to tell you. I would say that there are other players that are more difficult to guard. I would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, right. clearly, if he's not number one in your ranking, then yeah, that would be different. But right. yeah, he takes he takes speed to, I don't even want to say elite. It's it's almost weird that the word elite doesn't do Tyree Kill justice. Like he takes well, it's because it because we misuse the word elite because we use the word elite around eight players and should be used only around two or three players. He is elite, but we use elite for too many other players. It doesn't feel appropriate anymore. You know what? This is my soapbox. You are so, stand on it. Stand on it. I'm elite means like top 5%. Like you can't be saying like, oh, like he's an elite quarterback. There are max two, three elite quarterbacks in the league. And then by definition of the word, nobody else can be elite. So whenever we like always say, Kenny Galladay is on his way to being an elite receiver. No, he isn't. He's, on, he's a very good receiver. Not elite. 
Anyway. Five <laughs> for me. Yes. Stefan Diggs. Okay. Four is Devontae Hopkins. Uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Devontae Hopkins. Yes. Yeah, I almost pricked myself there. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kirk Cousins. Three is DK Metcalf. Hold Two on. Is have Tyree. you seen have you seen Luke's uh Kirk Cousins like memes that he's that he's done with with uh Kirk being fricked off? Who's Luke? Luke Inman? No, not Luke Inman. Um Luke, Luke Braun. Braun? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have not. So he he has like these <laughs> these like Kirk Cousins memes. He has the Kirk Cousins chaos meter. God, I'm trying to find it. He posts too much. Luke, you post too much. I'm trying to Luke, I'm, you post too much. I'm trying to give you pro okay, so trying here to be it is. funny. He's got the Kirk Cousins chaos meter and he's got He's got different levels. Conserva Kirk is the first one. Game manager Kirk is the next one. Peak Kirk, and then in parentheses, will frick you up because Kirk Cousins obviously doesn't say bad words. And then the last level is Chaos Kirk. But I, I laugh so hard every time he just does a frick reference with with Kirk Cousins. So that reminded me of that. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm about to say, yeah, you're, you've got a, a good co-host for continual jokes there. But... Three for me is Metcalf. Two for me is Tyreek. My unquestionable number one is Devontae Adams in terms of the way they played this year and any kind of projecting that forward. I mean, Devontae, A, won't stop getting better. Yeah, and, that's, that is a big part of him. And B, it's it's the well-roundedness to me. Uh, it, it remains the, you know, and perhaps this is a, a, a purely aesthetic, purely personal weakness of mine. Being truly elite at a couple of things is now, awesome. Now, do you mean like it, the real elite? Or like yes, the real elite. Okay, right. right. So like Tyreek, elite in terms of acceleration and speed. DK Metcalf, elite in terms of of speed and size. Right at the catch point. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, elite in terms of ball tracking and adjustment. Right. So like the elite traits for those guys with Devontae, Devontae Adams. You say what? And what is he elite? Route running, acceleration, catch point adjustment. These I mean, like top unreal man. I mean, like right. he is it's a just, technician to yeah. a T. And, and and like again, maybe this is this is just like you know like I don't know like maybe this is impractical. Maybe this is like the film head in me coming out, and 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 it's just like a personal weakness, like I said. But when we have a group of players, and and so many of them win in in ways that are, are unique to them, and and are truly you know devastating, and they're the best in the league at it. And then you have a player like Devontae who just isn't bad at anything. I tend to fall for that player pretty hard. Yeah. I love those guys who just have everything on their play and you can use them in so many different ways. So Devontae Adams has been outside of his mind this year. Yeah. Um, I think, I think sometimes, sometimes people can confuse well-roundedness with Mm -hmm. effectiveness. You know, like there are a lot of people, players who might not have a lot of holes in their game and where that will present a high floor because you, you know what you're getting out of them and you can get a variety of different things out of them. Sometimes those players don't have those, what you would call like a trump card, right? Where, hey, you've got to line up against somebody. You need this catch. Make it happen. And Adams, I think, has, one, an unbelievably high floor with his versatility and everything that he could do well. And then his footwork and his route running are so much of a trump card that just week in and week out, we're seeing that people can't contain him. Like, Adams isn't the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. He's not the fastest guy. And I don't mean that to say, like, he is slow or short or anything like that. He is still presents you a high floor with all of those traits. But then he takes all of that to an unreal level with mm-hmm. how well he approaches the technical skills of playing the wide receiver position. Right. It is, and it, he, is mm-hmm. he is an artist of what he does. 
and it's an interesting conversation because I, I don't I don't believe what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it and then I'm going to talk about why I don't believe it. Okay, this is good. This is good. This this yeah. this got you a Trace McSorley jersey before, so this is this is going to. <laughs> my so my top three guys are Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, and, and Devontae Adams. Metcalf is perfectly suited for the offense and the quarterback that he has in Seattle and in Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not to say that like Seattle and Russell Wilson were as they are, and then you just installed Metcalf. Part of Metcalf being so talented is why Seattle and Russell Wilson changed. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill is perfectly suited for Kansas City's offensive for Patrick Mahomes. Yes. The same thing is true. Yes. I believe that to be less true. And I think that the general argument is that Devontae Adams does not have the same effect on being a, a perfect fit for a specific quarterback in, in Green Bay. You look at the rest of the Green Bay wide receiver room, and they don't even look like Devontae Adams. They don't play like Devontae Adams, right? Like Adams seems so ludicrously talented that he has become the feature part in an offense that, like, didn't draft him to be the feature point in the offense and also targets receivers who look different than he does now under obviously Gunkus and not under uh, the, the previous general manager. But I still, I, I do think that there's probably a, a very nuanced chemistry between Rogers and between Adams and in the way that they site adjust routes. And cause it was such a basic route tree for so long, how much work they had to do in terms of timing, in terms of spacing to get it right that we don't recognize as easily as we do like, oh my gosh, Kansas City's all about space. Tyreek Hill's acceleration is insane. Perfect. Oh, Seattle's all about deep balls. DK Metcalf's the best deep ball receiver. Oh, perfect. So there probably still is that like Adams fits like a glove for Rodgers and and for that Matt LaFleur offense and even back with the McCarthy offense. Mm -hmm. But it's just a little bit more difficult to see. With that said, like that's the sensation a little bit is that like with Metcalf and Wilson, you have a perfect pairing. With Mahomes and Hill, you have a perfect pairing. And with Adams and Rodgers, Maybe it is a perfect pairing, but it's more difficult to explain why. And that, to me, adds a little bit more to like Adam seeing like this this truly, uh, you know, uh, uh, invulnerable receiver. You know, context independent receiver who can sure. be truly great in, in any sort of way. Now he's still playing with Aaron Rodgers, who's pretty good. So right. we don't really know that for sure. I agree with the spirit of what you are saying here. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, like I that's do. the thing. It's like, I don't, I'm not sure I fully agree with it myself. It's just like, that's an argument that's there. I think a, a way that I might put this is if you take Devontae Adams and almost put him with any quarterback in the NFL, he makes that quarterback better. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And sure. some of the other guys that are on this list, even some of the more elite guys, that might not always be the case for. Like some quarterbacks are just... They're they're not as vertical threats. They're more out to the sideline. They're more quick hit, hit stuff, you know, first reads or, or things like that. And whatever offense you are running, Devontae Adams can not only fit in it, thrive in it, be great in it. And I think that, yeah, that absolutely, I mean, he's in my top five without a doubt because of how incredible he is and what he's able to do and how he can elevate almost any offense. And the fact, the fact that we get to put him with Aaron Rodgers is special. And and what we are seeing is special, and so I don't want that to be a takeaway point from, or le- not like takeaway is in the thing you remember. I mean takeaway is in like a negative. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, it's simply elevating what Devontae is able to do by playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the game. That was a good the uh, that was a good uh, Devontae Adams discussion. Right. I didn't, did I you didn't have? Think we were going to jump have, in that one. I know we spent like twenty five minutes on three questions, which is not how this day is supposed to go. But did you have like a list of your guys who just missed the cut? Because I did. Um. So, like, now that I'm looking at it, I'd probably put Chris Godwin in there over... Godwin, uh, Godwin, excuse me, is my first name of who didn't make the cut. Yeah, I mean, Godwin, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, I don't have on this list. And that was more so just because of kind of, like, the years that they're having. And it's it's 
just weird. Um, I mean, so I, I didn't think that DJ Moore was really a threat. I mean, I like DJ Moore, but he wouldn't really. Oh, you know me. me. I'm fully on the, you know, suspicious of DJ Moore bandwagon. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Let me look at. Yeah, you can go. Yeah, off my, my five, my first five out were Godwin, in no particular order. Godwin, uh, Calvin Ridley, Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, and Justin Jefferson. We can't sit here and say if we're basing this off of 2020, then Justin Jefferson doesn't deserve to be in this conversation. Kid's been ludicrous. And I mean, like, uh, let's not forget, Allen Robinson is also an incredibly good receiver that we right. just never get to see anymore. So he's yeah, just, yeah. He's Rob, just an ab- afterthought at this point. He's a tough one, right, for these sorts of conversations. And then I have, you know, little asterisks by uh, Kenny Galladay and Cortland Sutton, both of them who have just been too— obviously, Sutton hasn't played this year. Uh, and then uh, Galladay is just—he has not played this year 100% since the first couple weeks of the season. Do you have Gallup uh, in so, there? No. Oh. Uh, I really like Gallup. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, just I, think he's a, I think he's a good player. I think if Gallup ends up— inside the top 15 wide receiver conversation at some point in his career, that'll be really great for him. Um, but I'm not sure that, that he's there, uh, especially like, you know, I, I, I style him as potentially the top receiver out of that class. He's had a, a bit of a, he's had a good year, but he's just had a, a, a solid year, a steady year. Obviously dealt with a lot of quarterback change. Calvin Ridley's been playing outside his melon. You know, if we're talking about. Uh, right. He's, he's right. awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. If, no disagreements here. Right. If we're talking about McLaurin and Keenan Allen as top tens, which I was very happy you had Keenan Allen in there. I thought that, that I was going to be forcing Keenan. No. Um, but like Stefan Diggs is a top five uh, sort of a guy. Ridley in that mold is the next man up, in my opinion. And he's obviously a little bit older than, than you know, that was the whole thing with him as a prospect. But he's clearly translated. Uh, so to me, he's, he's the next man up in that mold. When I think about those like technician wide receiver ones in the NFL, I mean, it's Devontae Adams is the first name that I think of and then Keenan Allen second. Yeah, he's just been doing it. I know he suffered through some injuries, which has sucked, but he has been doing what he's what he has been doing for so long, so consistently, and players just still can't cover him. He's so smart in how he sees the field. He knows exactly what can manipulate a defense, no matter what route he's running. He's so fantastic at feeling, uh, feeling out coverages, and he's he's incredibly reliable, whether it's 10 yards out, 20 yards out, 40 yards out, whatever. So you don't got to convince me on Keenan Allen. This is this is yeah. a big Keenan Allen is. Thank good God podcast. he got Justin Herbert, man. Thank I know, it's goodness. Fun. He's so stinking fun. Uh, all right, so we got about twenty minutes left, so we'll go rapid fire on <laughs> some starting of, the rapid fire segment a lot earlier than we had, usual. Look, we had we had some good, we had some really good football did, talk, did, so did, I wanted did, to get to it. Um, ben, would you rather purchase a Bears Nick Foles jersey or an Eagles Jalen Hurts jersey? Eagles Jalen Hurts by a mile. Oh, uh, I figured. Yeah, I mean, like I wanted an Eagles Jalen Hurts jersey. The, second that he had it and he was in the eagles like he was jalen hurts is extremely likable dude I, I don't think the pick made sense for the team but like now that he's here i love him i, I think he looks great midnight green i hope they bring back kelly green and put him in it the kelly green jerseys fall off of jalen hurts i have framed above my bed so i can look at it as i fall asleep you know what i mean he's he's awesome he's got a great aesthetic yeah. uh so yeah no absolutely jalen um I, I said that we're going to go rapid fire but this one isn't necessarily a rapid fire question, but it's a good one. It's one that we get all the time. What are your note taking processes when you are watching someone for the first time, like in summer scouting? Yeah. So summer scouting in the first time is an important distinction. And I'm glad that you put it in there because this is a really good opportunity to watch a player without knowing much about the player, mm-hmm. which you're not going to be able to do if you're on Twitter following the NFL draft and then watch players throughout the season. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't get, like when I go and I dive in on Zach Wilson's film for 2020, I'm going to know what people think his strengths and weaknesses are. Cause I just follow too many people who talk about Zach Wilson, his strengths and his weaknesses. And that affects how you view him. 
Uh, so the first thing I would encourage is is come into it with absolutely zero background. And, and and this is a good way to just learn how to watch film. If you want to get an evaluation right, you should come in with background. But this is just a good process. Uh, it'll help you project height weight um, because you're not going to know what he's listed as. You'll start to, to have the ability to to calibrate to player size and how they look and the big guys and, and the skill position players. And then you'll see what they're listed as and you'll start to get a feel for what schools run high and which schools run low and kind of how to, how to learn that process. You'll also... Uh, you know, get the ability to start to identify when players are playing at less than 100%. You know, if you watch, as mm -hmm. always, games early in the season, middle in the season, late in the season, right. and you wondered yourself why that late in the season game was worse, and then you learned he missed two games in the middle of the season with a knee injury that you didn't know about, well, that's why that late game season probably looked worse. He probably came back at less than 100%. Uh, and so you get the opportunity to kind of start to find the narratives on the players that will get talked about before you actually know the narratives, which is a good way to train yourself to kind of seeing what is truth and then seeing what's just kind of uh, made up unsubstantive narratives when we get into draft season. Uh, so go through that process. And then right when it's summer scouting and it's first exposure, I, I'm not trying to figure out where this guy's getting drafted. I'm not trying to figure out what round he's going to be in. I want to understand his mold. I want to understand his archetype. Right. So the best framework for me is where he wins and where he's limited. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like, like obviously, like, you, like, people like where he wins and where he loses. I like where he wins and where he's limited. Uh, using this to understand... We don't call people losers on this podcast. I'm just, I'm just trying to be positive over everybody, here. Yeah, everybody's getting a participation right. trophy at the end of the day. Right. Because the questions that you're going to be... <laughs> the questions people off. <laughs> the questions that you're going to be asking yourselves uh, throughout summer is, what am I looking for in next season's film? such that he would round out his evaluation. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at a player, J.C. Horn is a great example. When you look at a player like J.C. Horn uh, on summer film, you know we sat there and we said, you know, this is a quality man cover guy. He's really physical. I think he understands where the ball is in the air. I'm worried about his transitions. I want to see him have improved transitions in 2020 such that he rounds out his man coverage profile. J.C. Horn's played a lot better in 2020 than he did in 2019. And I'm excited and, inter and interested to sit down with his film and see, all right, is he just that physical, that dominant, that aggressive, that this is how he's going to win? And if he can out-physical guy, he will. And if he can't, he has no recourse. Or did his transitions get smoother? Did his footwork improve? And now he's a more well-rounded prospect. And that'll change how I actually value him come draft day. So where he wins, where he's limited, and, and, and trying to project out how he was used, what his height weight is, what his athleticism looks like, you know, like they talk yeah. about his speed and explosiveness. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of understanding the narrative of his season before you're exposed to him. It's a good like way to work on your skills as it were. So it's very different for every position, obviously, you know, it, it, exactly how much weight you put into certain things that a guy does and, and, uh, and understanding what you need to be looking at for different positions obviously goes into it. So having a baseline of kind of what to look for when you see a corner and not just a corner, what type of corner and things like, like, like what type of wide receiver and getting into different types. One of the very first things that I always look at is the physical qualities of someone, the, the height, the weight, what their build is like, how they look, because that often comes with natural advantages and also potential natural, uh, natural limitations, like getting into just more of what you were saying there. You know, if you have a player who doesn't have the exact build of a profile that you're looking for, you know, if you've got an edge rusher who's, you know, we, we could have two guys who are edge rushers and they play the same position. One of them is six foot four, 265 pounds. And the other one is six foot two, uh, 245, right? I mean, like they play the exact same position. They play edge but they're going to play it completely differently. And what you are looking for from each player needs to be tempered to what their physical limitations might be. Now, 
if you've got a six foot four, 265 pound player that's bending and bursting like a 245 pound player, it's important to know that right away because that automatically tells you like, okay, we like, we've got an athletic freak right here. Like this is a guy who has a very high potential because of how he can move at his size. Um, after that, I think it's really important to watch them, watch their tape, see their styles, look up their stats and see where they are playing at their most comfortable, which is often where they are playing fastest. You know, when are they not thinking as much and when is that green light on for them to do exactly what they want to do? And then after that, you kind of identify how valuable that would be. And, you know, like Ben was saying, when we go into summer scouting, yeah, I mean, sometimes we might say like, dude, this guy looks like he could be potentially a first rounder. Right, well, when he's a first rounder, it's exciting. Right, and so we say it. But, you know, you look at what a guy exactly does well. And even if he does like certain things that you love really well, you still have to quantify that and say like, okay, how valuable is this? How replaceable is this? How often is it that we don't see a player like this doing the things that he is doing. And so I, I would say that that's probably the checklist that I go through. It, it's physical for me first. You've got to understand the kind of guy that you're looking at, both with natural strengths and limitations, uh, see where they might be a plus athlete in certain areas, or just knowing exactly what you might need to be looking at on film, see what they do well. Again, like Ben was saying, where they win, and then quantifying some value to it as, as you kind of go into the season. And that allows you to look at their tape and, and understand where they are to the point where you've got a list down of where you would like to see them get better. You know, like 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 I was saying before, if you've got a power defensive end who is a bigger kind of player, don't put on your notes, would like to see him bend better. You know, like if that's not what his profile is, then that's an unattainable thing to look for him to get better at in this season. Maybe it's more of just, hey, using that strength more towards your advantage, getting different moves down, better hand placements, having better natural leverage because strength is your thing. Winning with strength more. You can't just expect him to say like, oh, he's a big guy. I'd love to see him be faster. All right, well, if God didn't make him (laughs) to the point where he can be faster, he's probably not going to be faster. And so... Understanding a lot of those things, I think, is is where I like to start with summer scouting. So a lot of the same stuff that we kind of went over there. But hopefully that gives you guys a good baseline of what to look at when you are doing this yourself next summer. And then you can come back to the podcast and have all new Fan Friday questions for us because you'll have watched the guys too. All right, Bryce said top five seasonal drinks. Okay, I have four because I know that there's going to be one that you have that I didn't think about that I'm going to want to take. So that's how that's going to go. Okay, well, three of them are alcoholic, so probably not. All right, you're going to have potentially two. <laughs> <laughs> Apple cider uh, in the fall for me is four. Okay. Quite good. Don't. It's not like the bottom or anything. It's just very good. Three, uh, hot chocolate in the winter. Wish you could drink hot chocolate year-round. Wish that that was socially acceptable. Number two, a little yard work summer lemonade. Ooh, okay. Do you feel me? Okay. Oh, late afternoon. Yeah. yeah. You know, grass is mowed, mm. weeds are pulled. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And then number one, as anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, uh, the herald of the holiday season is when Starbucks releases peppermint mocha coffee. And we immediately spend inordinate amounts of money (laughs) buying peppermint mocha coffees. And then our wife buys us peppermint mocha coffee creamer from Meyer, And it's not as good as peppermint mochas. We don't have the heart to tell her that. She's just trying to save us money. So we drink that anyway. Uh, There is a there's a coffee shop here in Charlotte that does a maple clove latte. Uh, for the fall that is just let me tell you 10 out of 10 as somebody who really just got into like espresso drinks 10 out of 10 Uh, but okay my number five is hot chocolate when it's cold number four is cider in the fall so we had the same two there now we get into the alcoholic section uh three for me is 
any type of beer to wash down wings on Super Bowl Sunday. Number two for mm-hmm. me is champagne at New Year's because it's a wonderful time. Everybody's very happy. It's joyous. And number one for me, uh, coming from somebody who used to live in Florida, is a ice cold, straight out of the cooler Corona on the beach or boat or whatever it is for like Fourth of July weekend. That's my right. That's my number one. People yeah, say I can't like, "Oh, what are you drinking Corona for? It's Fourth of July." Shut up. Is that a thing? Oh God, yeah, it's a thing. That's what everybody. That's what everybody does in Florida. They just drink Corona on Fourth of July, and I don't blame them because it's like the perfect beach beer. So, right. I was about to say, what's a uh, my my the no extent of, of my knowledge about Coronas is that Tony Romo is, is puts a lime in them or something. That's so true. this is true. Well, I mean, yeah. at least he does. See what's wrong? He does them. it for the commercial. He's paid to do yes. that. So you know, you can't trust him. Maybe in real life, he doesn't do that. But there, anybody who doesn't put in a lime in a Corona is a savage. Uh, <laughs> Chance said, "Who is Trevor's jersey bet going to be now that Ben's is over? I need to come up. Yeah, with, we need to come up with a jersey bet for me." Oh. Y'all out there, the allies of the pod can help us out with this. But you're I, not nearly as spiteful as I am, so it's difficult. It's one that's got to hurt, but I don't know how right. we make you hurt. Right. You know, in a loving way. Y'all can think about it. Y'all can, y'all can devote some time to it. Um, Javal said, as somebody who lives with an Eagles fan for a brother that is pro-tanking, how did Ben feel about the Eagles jumping to number six in the draft order? Good. You know, I think, like, you know, I— my my experience of all teams tends to generally just be fascination. You know what I mean? Like when the Eagles went from like 19 to six, I was like, oh, good. Like early pick. Like I love the draft. Eagles fans will be locked in on the draft. This is great for me professionally. It's great for me personally. I'm very excited. But in general, like what's been the most engaging thing about the Eagles this season has just been watching the implosion and trying to understand it. You know what I mean? Like uh, like Stephen Ruiz for, for, for the win is a very good follow at the Stephen Ruiz, a very good writer. Just wrote about, you know, like kind of Wentz's 2017 season looking more and more like an aberration the longer and longer Wentz's career gets. And then I talked with him about how I feel like the regression from 2017 probably stopped in 2018 and 2019. And now this 2020 is a whole new thing. And then that led to a really interesting conversation where it's like I, I watched the Eagles and I'm a fan. So I'm probably not the best guy to like be like, this is what's happening with Wentz. Uh, so all of that to say that like 19 to 6, I was like, yay. But the thing that really engaged me about the Eagles is just trying to observe and understand the sensations, which is why covering the league in general is fun. There's 32 teams who are going through 32 different things. Trying to riddle out who, what, when, where, and why is is, is a good job. Uh, I haven't heard you guys talk about Buffalo's running back, Jarrett Patterson, uh, yet after yeah. he put up approximately 94 touchdowns in one game. What is his draft outlook look Jared like? Patterson was nearly rookie of the week while still in college for that performance against <laughs> Kent State, man. That was nuts. 409 yards and eight touchdowns was the official stat line on yeah, that. Yeah, and, and was short of the record because his coach didn't realize that Jarrett was close to the record, so he pulled him at the end of the game. Yeah, which, I mean, like, if I were the athletic director, fired. Oh, on the spot. Right. Yeah, I, I said after— Which, Lance Leopold's awesome. On, on Twitter, you got to fire this guy at the podium. No, yeah. I mean, you know. What's, re- what's really fun about Jarrett Patterson is— uh. He leads the MAC in yards rushing, mm-hmm. but he is third in the MAC in yards after contact, where his yards after contact are put just against everybody else's rushing yards. So if you just took Jared Patterson, the running back after contact, he'd be the second highest rushing yards total in the entire MAC. So that was, I mean, that lines up with, I mean, my takeaway with him is that I thought he's he's a strong running back, and I thought his best trait was the balance that he showed. No, I think yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought that he had good vision, but the balance that he showed was the number one trait. 
going back to the vision though, I'm not gonna lie, man. I watched every single carry of his. I went back and I watched it because like this performance is insane. I came away so impressed with Buffalo's offensive line. Like they are running, they're running outside inside zone beautifully. They're running pin and pulls to a T. Like they were bulldozing this team. The running lanes that Patterson had to run through and the just absolute airplane runways that he had to the end zone sometimes were incredible. And I think that I honestly think I came away more impressed with how cohesive, strong, and dominant Buffalo's offensive line was, even more so than Patterson toting the ball. It's tricky. As a man who fell hard for Elijah Holyfield, I am nervous of short, squatty, powerful, good balance, good vision running backs who don't necessarily have the juice to break away runs. And that's where I didn't I feel even have a famous boxing dad. Yeah, that's where I feel we may be with 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 Patterson. There's no doubt that maximizing blocking schemes, surviving first contact has a place in the league. It's a question of how valuable that is. You want your running game to generate explosives. I'm not sure Patterson is the back to do that. All right, we got four more. First one, if you had switched Mike Tomlin and Adam Gase before the season, how many wins would each team have at this point in the season? I like this question. This was a good one. Because it's obviously the only undefeated team and the only winless team. So it's basically it's wins above replacement for Tomlin and uh, and uh, and Gase. I have the Steelers at seven and four, so I have them losing four games okay. because of Mike Tomlin okay. or because of Adam Gase. That is to say, right. and then the Jets who are zero and eleven. I have them going five and six, which I gave them five wins, which to me felt like way too much, but. I feel like they wouldn't have been playing Sam Darnold at all. And I feel like they would have won a lot more of their closer games. Patriots game, Chargers game, Mm -hmm. second Bills game. Mm -hmm. Because Tomlin's a really good coach in end game situations. And obviously Tomlin kind of gets his guys up for those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they would have picked up five wins. They would be a middling team with Mike Tomlin. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I would say five and six, four and seven. Really? I thought five and four wins were like way too much. So that was extremely unreasonable. No, I look, I mean like the Jets team is bad. Don't get me wrong, but there have been a couple instances where they've already been in striking distance. And I also feel like if Mike Tomlin was the head coach, he wouldn't have an absolute incompetent staff around him either. So Mike Tomlin would have good coaches around him. I think that four and seven, five and six, that's absolutely realistic. And then for the Steelers, probably... <laughs> Either six and five or five and six with Adam Gase, I think. Man, Somehow, feels like Gase matters. Yeah, he does. In, <laughs> in 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 the literal worst way. Okay, Andrew asked a fun one. Which NFL players are most like their mascots? For me, I think Khalil Mack is an actual bear. Oh, so I I one hundred percent thought you were starting your answer and then i realized that no he that was what andrew that said sorry that was his question and then it was my turn to talk and i was like trev you didn't do any others besides the bears and then i remembered reading the question being like no wait he did that yeah so i can do mine first i can do my i got three i only got three that, that really like stood out to me one kittle looks like an insane old gold miner so for the fan, san francisco 49ers Ooh, that's a good one you know what i'm saying like he just looks like he's just like a crazy gold miner um Jason Wynn looks like a cowboy. I'm taking it. I don't care. Like, I'm just, I'm putting that back to it. He looks like a cowboy. He's like the perfect cowboy. I'm going with it. I'm sticking with it. And then uh, Danny Shelton has a giant lion's mane with his hair. So I'm going to go with Danny Shelton. Oh, that's smart. Okay. Um, Cardinals. I took Kyler Murray. And the reason is because Kyler keeps wearing these yellow cleats. 
And somebody said, as he's like running around out there, those yellow cleats look like the beak on a cardinal. And Kyler's running style is so like, you know, like like it's so it's like a bird. It's very agile, right? It's very hither and thither. Uh, so Cardinals Kyler Murray, I want your help on this one. But mm-hmm. like in terms of like a buccaneer who's like an actual pirate. When Ryan Jensen had the yeah, long yeah, that's, hair. Yeah, that's the only one. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was Jensen, but I wanted to make sure that I, I was yeah, right on that one. Right. Ryan Jensen. Uh, a titan in Greek mythology, mm-hmm. Derrick Henry. Yeah? Oh, he sure. The, okay. The build. Right. He's a towering, imposing figure. Okay, all right. Here's my cheating one. Because uh, he's no longer on the Texans, but when Vince Wilmore wore the overalls... <laughs> That's good. Uh, it's cheating. It doesn't really count, but that was just so funny to me when Vince did that. I always, whenever I think Vince Wilfork, that's the first thing I think of. Uh, Cowboys, like, I was like maybe like Blake Jarwin. He went, he went from being an Oklahoma State cowboy to being a Dallas cowboy. Oh, I don't really know where nice. he's from. I have Zach Martin as well, a little bit. Uh, cowboy vibes, and then the one I can't think of a good one for, and I wonder if you could help me with this is who looks like a Raider, right? So obviously, like, Raiders fans dress up like Mad Max characters. But the idea behind, like, the Raider, it's like, okay, so he's, like, a warlike. He's just maybe, like, half a bit of a pirate. Like, is it Gabe Jackson? Is it, like, uh, Jonathan Hankins? Who is is a Raider? I'm I'm popping up the depth chart right now. Jonathan Abram? He's got the intensity of a Raider, I guess. He does have the intensity of a Raider. Uh, Marcus Marriott? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nathan (laughs) Peterman? John Gruden, John Gruden, it's John Gruden. Oh, John yeah. Gruden is the Raider. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. we're there. It's Gruden, it's Gruden. We're chilling. Yeah, yeah. Like that counts. He's on the roster. Don't worry about it. Uh, assuming neither wins the Super Bowl, who has a better career, Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees? I don't know. I sat on this one for five minutes, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, Rodgers? I, I mean, I, I think... No, I mean, like, I think Brees has the better career. Like, if you want... I mean, if they look, were retired look. right now, Brees... Yeah, I mean, but like, by I, the end of it, Rogers going to play for another five, six years. I don't know if he wants to play for another five, six years. Does he? I thought Rogers was kind of like coming out and saying, like, "Nah, I'm not going to play till I'm into my 40s." Like, wasn't he what? Or was that Philip Rivers? Or maybe it was both. Let me say, Rogers playing in the 40s. Um, the goal is to play into my 40s. That hasn't changed. Oh, He's 36. okay. Okay. So then it yeah. there's okay. There's a good chance that it's Rogers. Then my argument for this question was going to be like, right now, obviously Breeze has the better right. stats. I mean, he's about to be the all-time leader in passing yards and passing touchdowns. I don't know where Rodgers is there um, relative to oh, the, right. so- the pace, but Rodgers is a better arm. Like, Rodgers is one of the greatest throwers of the football of all time. Like, he's just one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Breeze might be more accomplished than him, so if you're going to say, like, who had the better career, uh, right. it depends how long Rodgers plays, but Drew Brees obviously has a strong case because he's got the accolades for it. Rodgers, that doesn't and, take anything away from Rodgers still being one of the greatest players of the position ever. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, Brees has been so productive in this late stage of his career. Like, will Rodgers be able to keep up with Brees' production when Rodgers is 40, 41, and 42? I'm not sure. Uh, so, like, pace-wise, Rodgers last year... He was he he set the record for the fastest quarterback to get to 350 touchdown passes. He did it in 172 games. The record was initially Breeze's, who did 350 and 180. So Rodgers okay. is like a, a nose ahead of him right now in terms of where Breeze was when Breeze was his age and yeah, when Breeze then, had his experience. Yeah, but then Breeze just kept going. That's the, the thing. It's like Breeze has been so productive at 40. Can Rodgers be that productive at 40? I think it'll be Rodgers. But it is a warranted question, and it's like it, it's interesting to think about if Rodgers wins no more Super Bowls, 
then he probably like there's a chance he doesn't go for as long as Breeze because he's like I'm clearly not winning a Super Bowl. Right, you know, like Breeze, yeah, Breeze definitely is. It came back probably the last two years just because they he thought they had a chance. Rogers would probably have to have a chance to make sure that he comes back. Final question, end on a fun one. Top five cheeses, go. I think we've had this one before. Uh, five for I'll me is feta. Every time somebody asks it, yeah, we do it again. We love cheese. Feta. Four is blue. Three is goat. Two is brie. One is Saint Andre, which is I like cheese. When I was a kid, I was it was introduced to me as butter cheese because that's what it it tastes like butter. It's soft and you can get it at Trader Joe's. And if you haven't got it, you should try it and you should put it on bread and then you should be mad at me because I just made you fat because it's really good. Uh, normal cheese rankings: five. I got Asiago, if nothing else, but for the name, it's a great name of cheese. Four is fat. Three is Gouda. Two is goat. Number one is Brie, but then top five off the wall cheese rankings, which just have to do with things that either have the word cheese in them or represent with the word cheese. Five, we got cream, meaning cream cheese. Four, we got burger, as in cheeseburger. Three, curds, cheese curds. Two, a smile like you're cheesing. And number one is cheese cake. There we go. That's Fan Friday. What a wacky answer to end Fan Friday on. I think it was pretty poetic, if I do say so myself, which I do, because I came up with the flow of the show. This week, we've got a lot of fun games. BYU plays Coastal, right? Yes, it's official. That's going to be awesome. BYU plays Coastal. We've got a lot of different college football action on Saturday. Sunday, of course, we've got a full NFL slate, even going into extended primetime, in which we have two Monday night football games and a Tuesday night football game. It's just going to be... It's just going to be a wild four days of football. Ben and I are going to be back to recap all of it starting next week on Monday. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.